Simons K Talk YA now presents Ash Princess Part 2 from the Ash Princess Trilogy by Laura Sebastian. Back to MNK Talk YA. I'm Marissa Snyder. And I'm Kitty Bradford. And this is our Young Adult Fiction Podcast. And this week we finished the first book in the Ash Princess trilogy by Laura Sebastian. And we have two left. Yeah, and I just got them. So it's Lady Smoke and Ember Queen. Sorry, I had to turn around <laughs> and look at my bookshelf. No, you're good. I don't I have Lady Smoke sitting here, but I don't Ember Queen's downstairs. Um, so did you get them from the library or did you end up ordering them or it's so interesting to think about like, how do you even get books these days? <laughs> I know. Well, I had to have you take pictures because I wasn't going to get them from the library. Um, and then I did get some, some arrived before we went on lockdown. So I was able to get some and then had this very fun process of wiping them down with Clorox and <laughs> yep. <laughs> But these will be the last books that I get from the library for a while. And so, again, how does that even work? Because the libraries are all closed, right? So do they just say, like, keep your books until we open again? Well, they have... Or are you supposed um, to drop them off in Yeah, they have, like, drop-off sites. I'm sure they won't be enforcing any fees at this time. that's all I was thinking of. I know a lot of, like, um, local bookstores and stuff around here, at least, are doing things like free audiobook subscriptions for the month or ebook stuff for the month or um, my favorite, like, local bookstore that also has a bar in it. It's closed to the public, but you can still, like, call and pick up books. Oh, that's cool. And beer. <laughs> and I just love that the beer and the books are both still available for pickup. What more do you need? <laughs> I have plenty of books in my bookshelves to keep me busy for however long this lasts, I guess. We're going to really break our records for book spread this year. You would think I have hit like my first slump that like the last few weeks, even though I haven't had that much going on, I really haven't read very much. And I don't know how much is also like all my book clubs have been postponed. Um, Like I didn't have the sense of urgency that I sometimes do about getting things done. I don't know. But yeah, I think I'm picking it back up again. But I'm like actually on track for one book (laughs) a week, which isn't a bad number by any means but I was uh way above that last year so it seems slow to me (laughs) that's bad when one book a week seems slow (laughs) I know it's which is also crazy I'm trying to be like don't beat your that's why I said it for one book a week because I didn't want to be crazy about it either right um but so one of my goals for this year I think I told you this is to walk 20 20 miles in 2020 to wait 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 220 miles or 2,000? 2,020 miles over the course of the year. Whoa. How many miles? I'm bad at math. How many miles is that a day? It's like five and a half oh. as your daily average. So okay. like any day when you don't do five and a half, you have to make up for it. So I think I'm behind right now, but I have already done 386.67 miles this year. That's not a bad goal. I'm just waiting for you to have to like run a marathon in December now. <laughs> Well, I know, and I, it's hard to keep it up all the time. It rained one day this week, and I walked, let's see, 1.2 miles the whole day. Oh, I mean, I don't even want to look at my steps counted because I've just (laughs) been staying at home all day doing nothing. Oh, I did 27 steps today. Wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) Good job. (laughs) That has to be a record. Anyways, what were we talking about? Let's talk about Ash Princess. Okay, wait, first I have to tell you, so one of our fans and friends was like, oh, I was going to download Ash Princess, but it sounds a lot like Folk of the Air trilogy. And I was Mm -hmm. like, um... Really? It does? Like, how how so? And she said, oh, look, another book about a teenage girl who needs to worry about the throne. And I said, well, from that perspective, all of our books are the same. Yeah, pretty much. But, uh... (laughs) I just thought it was funny. She thought, I mean, it is true. We do a lot of books about thrones. But to me, Folk of the Air was so different from most of the so things different. we read because it was in this fairy world and it was also like related to the real world, whereas this is like a completely fantasy place. Yeah, this is a second world fantasy. 
And obviously she hadn't started reading or anything, but I just, I thought it was a funny thing I wanted to share with you. Okay, so where did we leave off? I actually, I always forget when Halfway was, so... Well, we left off with Theo, well, well, Blaze, one of Theo's shadows, told her that he wants her to kill Cress and the, or and her father, Cress's father, Um, and he gives her this fire poison to use, and we kind of open up in the second half with Theo thinking that she she could kill the the Theon, I guess is his name, Cress's father, but she doesn't think she can kill Cress just because she's been her friend for so long and she feels like killing Cress, who is pretty innocent and all this, would make her no better than a Kaiser. So she's kind of <laughs> starting out this second half with that dilemma. And boy, does that change. <laughs> yeah, well, it was such a... I loved how that played out, actually, because it... It made sense to me that she was really torn about it and putting her friend, who's one of the few people who she has cared for her and cared cared for each other throughout the last 10 years when she's had so little, like, love and support and friendship and everything, but feeling like she ha- has to choose between this girl and her people and then seeing... She, like, tries... Or she tries a couple different ways. Like, uh, they have this moment right before the kaiserian how do you say the female kaiser oh the kaiserin the queen yeah yeah before she f- falls to her death or gets pushed to her death where she's almost trying like cress is basically saying if i become the ruler i'm going to take care of you and that's like part of why i want to marry the prince and she takes that opportunity to be like well what if we did more than that and sort of like starts to almost imagine this alternative reality where her and Cress can be partners but Cress like mm-hmm. shuts that down but they don't really get to explore it and then it flips 180 well that was that was kind of interesting too that moment because i liked whenever Theo was testing her kind of and she was like you know it's not just enough to save me what about the rest of the people mm-hmm. and Cress you can tell that like she understands and can sympathize with Theo because she loves her, but that's like the extent of her compassion. Like she cannot extend that to the rest of the art. What are, what are they called? Artesia? No. Astrians. Astrians. Yeah. Yeah, but at the same time, I think we had such a compressed timeline, and it was a lot of pressure. Like it sort of makes sense if even. Theo has never really identified with the Astrians in front of Cress or like mm-hmm. she's like made such a point to like separate herself and publicly, you know, shame them or what like distance herself. Yeah, from them, sure. And so part of me wonders if they if she had started to challenge or plant the seed earlier in their friendship, if it could have mm-hmm. grown into something better. But yeah, it was just like too late, too fast, because the initial reaction, like you said, Cress is like the way she's grown up, she doesn't even see them as someone deserving of sympathy. She doesn't see it as a problem. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're the enemy. And I think that um, in in a way, it's interesting because Theo has doubts too about killing her because, and she totally calls Blaze out on this. She's like, there's no reason right now for Cress to die. You're just doing yeah. this to test my loyalty. And like, why are you doing this other than to punish me? Like, there really is no cause for it and blaze admits like you're right i am i'm just doing it i guess i was just being yeah (laughs) and even that makes sense from like all the and if that if it ended there i would have i wouldn't have respected her if she had tried to kill cress without pushing back if that had been the extent of it because it is true you don't want to become there's some choices you'll have to make obviously but you don't want to you don't want to kill innocent people for no reason yeah but then as you were going to say it all changes when yeah. Cress finds this love letter that Thor wrote to Soren. And we all know mm-hmm. that Cress is in love with Soren and wants to marry him and become a princess. And Cress finds mm-hmm. this love letter that Thor wrote, which may be true, but she immediately suspects that Theo is working with other people and that she she thinks that she's trying to seduce the prince to get information. But which is up. Again, to your point, true. But Cress is so... Again, Cress is also really smart. What mm-hmm. I actually love about this is I think society, or like the people as a whole don't view Cress or Theo as particularly threatening, but they both have become like these survivors and are smart and can like pick up on things. Mm-hmm. And while I don't agree with Cress's stance, I did respect her a little bit for 
I mean, like, it was just, it was a smart move, even though it was, like, a vicious move, how she kind of played that card and threatened Theo to kind of go along with her plan. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. You called it, too, because you were like, listen, this girl's not dumb. Like, her father is the lead strategist. Like, he's the general of the army. Like, she learned from him. She's not just a pretty face. And I like that we got to see that play out in the book. Ooh, okay, I'm kind of jumping totally right now, but we're talking about Cress, and we mentioned that her father's influence. We also learned near the end that her mom did not die, but her mom right. left the family when she was pretty young, and I am so curious to see if and when. I really hope we learn who she is um, and see her again in one of these later books, whether, like, I don't, I don't really think we've met her yet, but I'm no. curious if it's going to be someone that they eventually become allies with or something someone outside of this island that we meet who's actually Cress's mom and how that complicates and changes things I bet we absolutely will because I think to drop that easter egg it's kind of like in like playwriting they say like don't put a gun in the first act if you're not going to use it by the third so it's like that I mean that's such an interesting bit of information too that like uh, Cress's mom didn't agree with everything that Thayan was doing and she put up with it to a certain extent but when he had so much blood on her hands she was like I can't do this anymore and think of how bad it must have been for her to leave Cress like to leave her daughter yeah it's gotta be I feel like it would be really hard at this point for Cress and Theo to repair their friendship or for Cress to really redeem herself without something else involved and I feel like that's I like the fact that her mom might be out Mm. there and didn't agree with the dad is Mm -hmm. like the hope I have that Cress can be brought over to the light again (laughs) that would be interesting because right now she's on complete opposite sides of Theo which is what you predicted and it's all because Mm -hmm. Theo decided to go through with attempting to poison her and her father and okay how did you feel about that whole scenario because I had such problems with the way Theo went about planting the poison in terms of using using Elpis yeah that pissed me off because she was like oh it's gonna be too hard for me to poison my friend so let me get the 13 year old girl to do it and then it just it ends so badly when like Crest doesn't die, but her father does, and poor Elpis is arrested, and... I mean, it was, but you know me, I also like when it's a good plot point, and, like, I think some of the good people have to die. Part of me is, like, how else would she have poisoned her? Like, logistically, how would she have gotten there? I feel like the maids would have died anyways, whether they... I mean, yes, it maybe wouldn't have been such a terrible death, but even if she had just helped, if she wasn't the one who poisoned her, it probably would have played out the same way true because Theo was too valuable to kill right then I think there was enough there and as like a Astrian maid or whatever she was bottom of society if the, if anything could be pinned on her it would have gone just as bad so if she had just let her in the house or like turned the other way or like or done anything yeah if she had been involved at all I sort of feel like it would have ended the same way and I also feel like yeah she was 13 and that sucks but with everything else that they've been through, she did have her, mo- she wanted to be involved. She hated Cress, so it wasn't as much of a moral decision for her in terms of like, mm-hmm. you know, she doesn't deserve this. Like, she probably felt like she did deserve it. And I obviously wish she hadn't been caught and died, but she died proud of what she had done. If that, like, That's I, true. you know. Yeah, because she drinks the poison to stop yeah. you from confessing. So she does kind of take that into her own hands. I just felt that, to me, I feel like if you are, This is, like, from Game of Thrones. Like, there's a moment where they always say, like, the one who gives the sentence is the one who has to swing the sword. And it's kind of like, you have to do your own dirty work. And I just didn't like that that Thor, Yeah, it was a little bit of a cop-out move. Yeah, she, like, totally put it on the shoulders of this young, young girl and kind of, she used her. Well, and then she didn't even follow through with killing Sora and herself, so she really, like, uh, wimped out of all of the hard parts. (laughs) (sighs) Yeah, okay, so what do we want to... So Cress is definitely an enemy. Now let's talk about what happened with Soren. Okay, wait, last thing about Cress, though, because she did take some of the poison, and it has changed her. So she did survive, but she... Not only did her father get killed and she suffered too, but she also has, like, undergone some kind of magical transformation, is what we're led to believe, right? Something like the fire, like the gem power. Which is... Um, very confusing to 
to Theo because she believes that this power comes from the blessing of the gods and she is horrified that the gods would have blessed one of the Calavaxians. Mm-hmm. And so she's, yep. she's just very perplexed by this because she's like, how is this possible? Like, how could those people have our god's blessing, essentially? Yep. So I was super excited to see what happens with that. Agreed. Okay, so now we can move on from Crest. you want to go to Soren? Sure. So he uh, comes back from his little trip that was not to stop pirates, but was, as we... <laughs> suspected to try to take over this island people who were then prepared for them Mm -hmm. so it was a much worse battle than either side predicted a lot of death on both sides actually but he also made some judgment calls that put blood on his hands and changed the way theo viewed him so what do you think about these berserkers i think i'm still a little bit confused like so i mean so they're people who've gone mind mad Mm-hmm. and I just don't get how they can be used as weapons. So how do they keep them from, like, exploding beforehand? I don't think they did. Like, I think that they um, they just have these powers that can erupt, and then they just kind of, like, let them loose. So you're asking, like, if, if the berserkers themselves can't control it, how do the people using them control them? Yeah. And that's a fair question. Because um, part of me is, like, if you have a ship full of them even if you weren't planning to release them on the island how did you like keep them from berserking it well could they give them stones like if they give them gems wouldn't that enhance their powers even more possibly i don't know i just like was confused by this like it seems it seems like it's such a spontaneous uncontrollable thing on the one hand but then it's also like we are going to like keep you near our people and they'll be safe and then we're gonna release you and you're gonna like happen to cause damage at the perfect time to I don't know. I just like I, I'm curious to get a little more information about how it works. Yeah, that's fair. And to see that how exactly they're used. Yeah. Um especially because we're seeing Blaze is possibly yeah. headed that direction. So we learned a little bit about we well we we kind of got a hint that something was wrong with him because we had that moment where the Kaiser was like about to propose to Thora or Theo and he cracks the Kaiser's chair. Oh, yeah. But to be fair, when that happened, I thought he just, like, lost his temp. Like, I didn't think he lost control of his powers. I thought he just, like, was emotional. I just, at first, I thought he was just, like, letting his feelings for her get in the way of his mind, not, like, of his powers. Does that make any mm. sense? Like, he used his powers when he shouldn't have, not that he used oh, his powers gotcha. without meaning to. Yes, that does make sense. And even that could be said that scene that awful awful scene when theo is being whipped because of the failed attack on the victorians he cracks the tiles under her and that was like that kind of makes it more clear that he couldn't control it because doing that didn't like save her anything it just was like a loss of control so we do have those two moments that something that proved that something was a little off with him and then we learned that Mm -hmm. when he was in the mines he gave his gems to an old man to help him make his quota and was like thrown in the cell for a week and went my mad and then when he came out he had a scar and this like incredible incredible power that was much stronger than anyone else's and uncontrollable he did the earthquake the earthquake was his fault on accident yeah, yeah. that and that's what led to Empelio being captured so he is aware that he's out of control, but I don't know if he's aware that um, people are using his kind as weapons yet. Yeah, but oh man. Whoa, that was a lot, yeah. This, I'm actually, the more we're talking about it, and I liked it already, but I think the character development is so good. Like even these secondary characters and stuff, I feel like they have really well thought out backstories. And again, I never felt like we had a huge information dump necessarily, mm-hmm. but it all... I don't know, even, like, um, Heron and uh, Artemisia, or whatever her name is. Yeah. We have backstories for them. And um, Eric. Oh, my gosh. I forgot about Eric. Eric is the um, son of the Kaiser and Ho- Hoya, her maid, yep. who has, like, her mouth sewn shut. I mean, yeah. there were so, you're right. There were so many, like, little revelations in this half of the book. And it gave 
characters who kind of were not throwaway characters but definitely less important characters it made them so much more interesting and I loved that you're right and it made besides the Kaiser I feel like everyone has good and bad things you trust things you don't trust like Mm -hmm. I mean they're all so complicated besides the Kaiser I feel like there's good and bad in almost everyone or like things that make me nervous and things that like make me trust them and like the Kaiser even he we've gotten enough of his backstory where it's all bad but it's like so much more interesting than just like he rose to power but like how like power hungry he is and like some of the choices he's made are still like fascinating yeah and, and and he hasn't really um we know he wants to marry Theo, but he hasn't really run into any problems with the fact that he threw his wife out of a window, which is interesting. Mm -hmm. But I'm excited to kind of see a showdown between Soren and his father, because in the love letter that Theo wrote Soren, she tells him that of what her father, his father did. Mm -hmm. And that was very calculated because she wanted Soren to turn against his father um, and kind of initiate a rebellion before she killed him mm-hmm. and now that you know we learned at the end that she couldn't kill Soren, she didn't have it in her um she feels that he's not his father and he is starting to prove that he he wants to like make amends for using the berserkers in the first place and could be an ally and now i'm just i'm really curious to see Soren face up against his father Yes, except, okay, here are, Soren is the one character, or maybe it's not even Soren. Soren's relationship with Theo is, like, the one relationship that I do feel like is suffers from that, like, thing that happens in a lot of YA books when the world is ending, where it's, like, they really haven't spent that much time together, but they're, like, totally in love. And I think they've had some yeah. really nice, believable moments, but I almost wish that, even though he had been gone for five years, that they had been friends when she was younger or something, because mm-hmm. part of me is, like, why would he risk all this, throw all this away, trust her this... Like, I f- almost feel like it's, like, too extreme of a reaction for how little they've interacted. I agree, but I also think there is something real about... Um, watching someone from afar and developing a fascination with them and almost like an obsession. And and I think that's kind of what this is. Like, Fair. Even though Soren hasn't been there that much, he still has seen this very mysterious girl grow up in his father's court and suffer all these humiliations. And so I think that kind of made her seem very interesting and exotic in a way, which isn't the basis for a true relationship. Mm-hmm. And maybe they won't end up having a true relationship. But I think right now this obsession is what's carrying them forward. That's fair. Okay, I'd buy that a little bit. But I still, I almost wish we saw more, even if it wasn't like a friendship to your point, if we saw him like obsessing about her earlier or like noticing her growing up or like um, asking questions about, or I don't know, just some, or even someone else that he, and maybe we'll learn this later, like failed to protect that makes him want to protect her so much because Mm. I feel like there is this piece of him and that that they played on and talked about where if she's a damsel in distress he like wants to protect her and part of me is like okay that's his character but the other part of me is like where did that come from like I'm curious yeah um I kind of want to see that like while I'm reading it I buy it it like feels believable their conversations feel real but then when I think about like wait like a week ago they had never talked or well but his but his mother I mean maybe that's where it comes from like his mother was put in this position that is really horrible and I think he had some kind of connection to that I think he kind of saw her pain so maybe that's where it comes from yeah so I think I I buy that there is a good reason but I just want it I just want to discover more mm-hmm. about what it is, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I think we probably will, the way these books and backstories and character development is happening. I, I'm sure that we'll learn more about who he is outside of or before um, his role as prince. But um, but yeah. Um, what was your favorite scene in this half? Ooh. Um, like to see in a movie like we usually do or just favorite scene in general? Um, in general. I don't know. It might be, this is kind of a weird one, but when they are, when Soren and Theo are escaping through the dungeons and they come across the three uh, guardians who are being like harvested. Yeah. And, you know, they're trying to escape and they're being chased and she sees her people. She doesn't even realize they're guardians at first and like goes to rescue. Like just like that whole interaction felt very like emotional, but also would be kind of a cool thing to like see them getting ready to use their powers because she gives them 
the gems and stuff too and like the adre- I don't know I feel like that would be like an adrenaline scene I don't know that was kind of the first thing that stuck out to me but visually I would also love to see some of these parties again like when they're dressed like sirens or oh, the masquerade yeah. yeah um what about you I really liked the scene where Cress confronts Theo in jail and her hands are like making the prison bars warm and she is just so different in that moment and so ferocious and she basically says she she went from saying when I'm queen I will protect you to saying when I'm queen I'm going to kill you and burn your country to the ground and like that level of like anger and just that need for revenge and and just her doing a complete 180 I I love that and like how she's so like physically changed like the poison made her hair burn Mm -hmm. and you know she went from this like very flighty um kind of you know appearance obsessed teen to being this like very ferocious very serious woman and I I I just kind of really loved that transformation I know I agree I think she's one of the more to your point interesting characters to see transform and to see their relationship change and I'm so excited to see what happens next do you think she ends up marrying the kaiser oh god maybe because i think at this point she's very power hungry and she wants to do whatever she can do to um get an edge over theo so i i would not put it past her yeah me either but then i also i don't know if that's a good pairing either but i don't know i'm just i'm curious to see because i don't think she's like the kaiser still has own level of evil but she is not a good enemy to have. <laughs> Agree. And, but I'm also curious to know, like, what's going to happen when Theo finally uses the gem, the fire gems? Because we've seen her, you know, being offered them and refusing them. And, you know, she doesn't want to touch them because she doesn't want to commit sacrilege and she wants to see her mother in the afterlife. But I think eventually she's going to use them. And I think, like, the assumption is... She, is that she's a guardian, right? Or will be, or would have been. I guess it depends on how you define guardian. The assumption, I mean, I think it's fair to say that she has the power or ability to use mm-hmm. the magic and um, harness it certain ways. I think she's even more than a guardian. Like, I'm curious if her whole line of her, like, it sounded sort of like her family ha- could have had power, but like intentionally chose not to or something. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I think it would have to be a really good reason for her to give in because she's been tempted for just like by the draw of it. I don't think that mm-hmm. will ever be why she uses it. I think it's going to be either she didn't mean to. It's like an emo- like again, if she's like close to gems and like the emotional something gets, you know, she's just too powerful to even control it because she doesn't know what's going on. And she like reacts to something or like gets upset or something like that. Or I think it's going to be, yeah, like she a has to. saving blaze or safe. Saving the whole ship, something like that. Oh, speaking of the ship, we oh, meet yeah. very briefly, we get to meet Dragon's Bane, and we learn something very surprising about her. Oh, I was not expecting that at all. Me either. Uh, so she, we had already knew she was a female pirate and not a male pirate, right. like um, some people thought at the beginning, but her family history, she's actually the twin sister younger by five minutes of Theo's mother. Yeah, so she's Theo's aunt. And they look exactly the same. Like, not only are they sisters, <laughs> but they were, like, twins. Identical and, twins, yeah. yeah. The heir and the spare kind of thing. And I'm, that is super interesting. And I also love how they're like, wait, no one told her? And they're like, well, we didn't <laughs> want to spoil it. But part of me is like, you couldn't have told her, like, on the boat afterward. Like, even if it was hardly a moment's right. warning, like, a moment's warning would have been good. <laughs> thing because she just sees someone who looks exactly like her mother and at first I was like wait did her mother not die like I know I was I, so confused <laughs> or or you know how people can um use the water gems to, to or whatever heal. to change their yeah. appearance air or, gems, yeah yeah well the air gems to heal but the water gems can't you change your appearance mm-hmm. I thought maybe it was a trick true, true. um but the other thing that I was thinking of was remember when Artemisia whatever her name is art um when Art came in to, I forget why, but it was like the first time she saw Art and she saw her hair look like water. But then when she changed her hair back, she said, 
she made a comment like it looked like my hair color. I didn't know if she was just doing that to like make me more comfortable or something. But I bet that was her natural hair color and they actually do look really alike if they're peasants. Yeah. That's actually where I started with my research. Oh, good. What did you do? Well, I really loved that whole concept of where art was was talking to Theo about her appearance and she was like, your hair is so beautiful. And she was like, yeah, try waking up to it. Like her appearance just changed overnight. Uh-huh. And um, and then I think they also mentioned like Ampelio had a burn or something like that. Like some of the guardians have markings. Yep. And so I tried to start researching um, people whose appearances just changed suddenly overnight. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, because I had a friend in high school who had straight hair. And then one day she woke up and her hair was naturally curly. Whoa. Yeah, and so I was trying to think, I was trying to, like, try and find other cases of that online. <laughs> um, shockingly, so did you... I didn't find any stories about that. Maybe my friend lied. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe she just forgot. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so then I turned um, to researching professional human mermaids. Okay. <laughs> Which um, I would like to tell you the week-long rabbit hole that I went down this week of looking at videos and pictures of professional mermaids because it is super fascinating. Okay, you now watch The Bachelor, but you didn't watch the season where there were twins on it, did you? No. Okay, well, they somehow got a spinoff show about their lives, and they were, like, really young and kind of silly, and they were, like, trying to do stuff with their lives, and they decided they should grow, they should be professional mermaids, so they, like, went mm-hmm. and auditioned. You should find that episode and watch it. Oh, my God, I absolutely want to, because <laughs> the tails are so pretty. The tails are gorgeous, but they weigh, like, mm-hmm. 45 pounds, and they're super expensive, um... And, like, the amount of, like, breathing exercises you have to do, like, they stay under, some of them stay underwater for over four minutes without breathing. Like, they can hold their breath that long. It's insane. Yeah, basically, these girls had no idea how hard it was, and they're like, uh, yeah, we thought we just, like, had to be hot, and that's it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh, I definitely want to look at that episode. Um, so then I begrudgingly shifted away from Human Mermaids, and... I settled on researching dangerous love letters in history. Okay, I love this. Because I liked how in the book, like, Theo and Soren were writing these letters to each other, and they were including, like, really, really dangerous information. Like, if anyone found them, things could have gone really bad, and it did, because Crest found one. And they were just, like, leaving them on the floor. like Which was also, yeah, part of me was like, what the hell? (laughs) So I was trying to research... um, like, dangerous love letters throughout history. I didn't really find any that were dangerous, but I found some interesting ones. Okay. So, Joseph Stalin wrote a letter to his wife, Nadia, when she was away um, in Germany, and he said, I miss you so much, Tachoka. I'm as lonely as a horned owl. (laughs) Which I thought was very strange. Um... Okay, so Napoleon Bonaparte wrote to his wife, Josephine, and he said, You are going to lie here beside me, in my arms, on my breast, on my mouth. Take wing and come, come, a kiss on your heart and one much lower down. Much lower. (laughs) (laughs) He was so dirty. Um, And then I found this very interesting one um, between... Anne Boleyn and Henry VIII. Mm -hmm. So they, I guess, wrote secret messages to each other in the margins of a book that was, that was produced in 1528. It was called the Book of Hours. And they wrote letters beneath different pictures to like mean different things. So Henry wrote his message on a page, on a page where there was a man it was like the man of sorrows. And so he chose that image to represent himself as like the lovesick king. And then Anne responded by writing her message below an image of the Annunciation, which is when Gabriel tells the Virgin Mary that she's going to bear a son. And she chose that to imply that she would succeed in providing him an heir if he left Catherine of Aragon. Mm. 
Isn't that so interesting? That is. It's also so interesting to think about. Well, I mean, I guess people still, like, write stupid things and get caught today. But, like, the fact that, like, letters were the only way to communicate a lot of things in secret because you weren't allowed to, like, be alone with people. And even letters could be, like, you'd have to, like, imply things or use codes or, like, Mm -hmm. like, it's just kind of interesting to think about how much more maybe went into thinking about what you write. Like, now people, like, I don't know, Snapchat or something and... Yeah. You sends. up or whatever. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right. Like, they had to convey intimate messages to people without getting caught in certain cases. And, you know, it was the only way to correspond. And I'm sure they had, maybe they had more time to dedicate to writing these letters. And some of them are, like, very intricate and beautiful. Do you write love letters? Um, no, I don't. I do have a pen pal. I have a friend in Italy who I used to write, we used to write letters to each other. Oh, that's nice. I have a story about love letters in my family. Do you want to hear it? So my grandmother and grandfather, I think early in their courtship or maybe when he was at war, I don't really know when, but they had all these love letters from like when they first started dating and they used to every year like sit down and like read them back and forth Mm. to each other. But then, for some reason, I'm not exactly sure what happened, but they both decided that they would read it one more time and then, like, burn all of their letters or, like, get rid of them. I think um, they didn't want, like, something that they were, like, both having some health problems and they didn't want people to, like, find them later or something like that. But I guess my grandma did it, but my grandfather didn't. So we still have all of his letters from her, but not, um, like, their response, which is just kind of funny, but also... Um, yeah. Didn't fulfill his end of the bargain. I know, but I don't know exactly how, like, uh, yeah, it's just kind of funny. I guess I do have a letter to Chad that we wrote, because we did a letterbox for oh, yeah. our wedding anniversary, and actually that's coming up this October. We, like, wrote each other's letters and put them in this box, and we're supposed to open it on our fifth wedding anniversary and read the letters, and I have no idea where the box is. <laughs> oh, no, I forgot. I really liked it when you guys did that. That was really cool. I gotta find that. Whoops. We um we did a uh, engaged couples retreat before we were engaged because I'm crazy, <laughs> and one of the tasks we had to do at the end was they like had everyone write a letter to their spouse to or their soon to be spouse to read on their wedding day. Oh. So I wrote one as if. James and I were going to have a wedding day, which we ultimately did. And James wrote one that he thought we would read in the car because he was like, we're not engaged, so this doesn't really matter. But I refused to open it. And I, like, took them and I hid them and I gave it to him on our wedding day for real. But it was just funny because he was like, I have no idea what I wrote, but I thought you'd read it, like, ten minutes later. (laughs) Yeah. But it was actually really sweet, so. Oh, Oh, speaking of sweet, do you want to hear a letter that Johnny Cash wrote to his wife, June Carter? Yes, please. This is actually really, really sweet. So he wrote her this letter on her birthday, and it says, Happy birthday, princess. We get old, and we get used to each other. We think alike. We read each other's minds. We know what the other wants without asking. Sometimes we irritate each other a little bit. Maybe sometimes take each other for granted. But once in a while, like today, I meditate on it and realize how lucky I am to share my life with the greatest woman I ever met. You still fascinate and inspire me. You influence me for the better. You're the object of my desire and the number one earthly reason for my existence. I love you very much. Oh, Isn't man. so cute. He should per- turn that into a song. I just thought, I thought that was, like, so beautiful. It was. Yeah. I feel like some people have a way with words that I would totally fall for as a big reader and stuff. Like, if people wrote love letters, I'd fall in love so much easier, I think. Well, I think it's easier to say how you feel in writing rather than in face-to-face personally it helps me to like process my own thoughts and like and just the way I think like because I'm sometimes particular about words and stuff like I can't come up with the perfect word off the top of my head a lot of the times as you know I can (laughs) barely even remember someone's name that we said two minutes ago but uh if I can write it out then yeah I feel like I can like get it to say what I actually want to express so that was my research it was fun Nice. Um, so I was really busy at work this week because I didn't really do a ton of research, but I decided to look up. Wait, what did I actually Google? <laughs> I don't remember. I Googled something silly, but basically I was looking up different ways to make your 
boat or ship faster because oh, um the cat ship yeah there is this cute story about Sora and when he like actually went through the effort of rebuilding this boat um and all these cats were there because he didn't know to like keep them away because no one told him and then he ultimately had to kill them which was not a pleasant part of the story mm-hmm. but there's also a lot of mention about how um his boat's faster than like the rest of the group because it's like small and nimble and all this stuff and we've seen that in other places and I like my pirate princess so I want to know if I'm out there searching for a pirate prince or transforming James into a pirate prince how to make sure that you're getting a fast boat that's okay. my favorite okay so there are um multiple ways that you might be able to boost your boat's top speed most of them sound like gibberish to me but I'm going to share them with you anyways (laughs) okay so if you would like to gain two to four miles per hour um without touching the engine but get like a measurable increase in your boat speed you might consider blueprinting Ooh. um what's that so some people think it actually involves creating a blueprint but it's really restoring the bottom of your boat to its original specifications so I guess like most things that are out in the world and exposed to the elements and whatnot, it the bottom of your boat can have a variety of imperfections. And sure, it gets worn especially away. Especially if you've been using it a lot. Yeah, there'll be flaws and things will like hit it and whatnot. So um, basically you want to like restore it to like smooth, angled, everything looking good below. There's a lot of words in here that I don't <laughs> fully understand, but that is one thing you okay. can do. Um, another thing you can do... This can gain you a speed of 10 plus miles per hour, but it's a big investment, although it yields big gains. This is called supercharging, (laughs) and I'm pretty sure that this is something James does to his car engines, but it's still a little bit over my head. But basically, uh, you bolt a supercharger to your boat's engine, and you'll go a lot faster, but you'll avoid the warranty and reliability could be compromised. So there are some pros and cons. It sounds like something out of an anime show or like a sci-fi novel. And again, I'm pretty sure, no, like I'm pretty sure James has super, like these are words that I hear in our garage all the time. And to be fair, okay. of our three cars, like two of them didn't work at any given time. So <laughs> then there is, um, this is a minimal gain for the same price as a new stainless steel prop. I don't know how expensive a stainless steel prop is or even what a stainless steel prop is, Um, but it can gain you one to two miles per hour, and this is called ECM reflashing. I don't even know why I kept reading this article because, again, this is all gibberish to me. (laughs) You could have asked James, maybe. I know. I should actually run this by him, or I should just throw in some of these phrases while he's talking and see which ones he's like, whoa. (laughs) How'd you know that? Um, Because there's stuff about uh, the Whipple industry known for its superchargers, and, like, the ECM is the engine control module, and, but again, anytime you kind of mess with the power output of something, you, and this is, I think, totally true with cars, too, um, you risk reliability, and you, like, basically, anytime he does certain things to his cars, he's like, yeah, now the shop won't help me, or won't look at it, or, like, I can't bring it back to the dealer, or whatever, so... You know, there's uh, reasons if you, like, want to use your warranty later, you may not want to do some of these things. Um, For two to seven miles per hour, you can add jack plates, which are, this one, they they have a cost per mile per hour gain that is so specific, it's funny to me. (laughs) (laughs) $106.42. And it's considered a good move for overall performance with any outboard. Um, So basically, I guess the less of whatever appendage is in the water the less drag it will create which Mm -hmm. makes sense so if you have jack plates on your outboard motors (laughs) it raises the plates so that less of the motors bottom unit is in the water which in theory reduces drag which should improve efficiency it's like shaving all your hair off if you're an olympic swimmer Yeah, it's exactly (laughs) like that, probably. Um, Or you can add a propeller. I have heard of these before. Okay, Um, yeah, now we're speaking my language. (laughs) You can get two to five miles per hour. It's the easiest way to pick up a few miles per hour. Let's just do that. (laughs) This sounds easier, cheaper, and less uh, whatever than some of the things that only get you one to two miles per hour anyways. so. So there's that. 
Or you can have all of them, and then you have the cat ship. I, I, but also you would um, not have a real... You couldn't use your warranty. So then I also was looking up, just in general, <laughs> the relationship between the length of a boat and its maximum speed. I think I went into this week being like, I'm an engineer. I should understand some of this stuff. This will be interesting. <laughs> this is practical. And then I just like was reading it with glazed eyes. But I guess... <laughs> In the 1800s, there was this guy, William Frode, who was researching warships for the British Admiral, Admiral, Admiralty, whatever that's called, the British people, warship, ship peoples, yep. Um, and he saw that the different ship models ran at speeds in proportion to the square root of their length. Ooh. And this ratio became known as the Frode number, although I guess he, like, in no place actually like created some formula for what the maximum speed is or whatever. But um, really the only limit to a boat speed is the amount of power it can realistically accommodate is the, the final note I have to say about that, which basically to me sounds like it can only be as tall as it grows, but you know, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) So do you feel smarter? Because I'm not sure that I do. I feel like I have some very fancy words to throw around and then hope no one asks me questions about them. (laughs) Yeah, I'm gonna, like I said, I will throw some of these phrases at James and let you know how they go over if I impress him or if he just starts laughing at like my pronunciation or something. Drop, drop them in the, in the conversation and then immediately change the subject. (laughs) Yeah, I'll be like, how's the engine? And he'll say something and I'll be like, oh, have you thought about, uh, ECM reflashing? Super, super Yeah. How's, is it a fuel-injected engine? or I don't even know. What would I say? Recalibrate the supercharger Whipple horsepower? Just throw words in. Uh, and include some words from this book, too. Just to really confuse Yeah. Them. Yeah. Cat? I'm just kidding. Uh, so, yeah, I probably shouldn't be allowed to um, build or drive the boat, is the moral of the story. But there we go. <laughs> Um, my cousin just called me right now while we were talking and she called me twice and I was worried because I was like, oh, this sounds urgent. And she, and I was like, is everything, I just texted her. I was like, is everything okay? And she was like, yeah, we're just jamming to the Jonas Brothers and we thought it would be fun to do that with you. <laughs> I love it. It's her and her roommate. <laughs> so I have that to look forward to after this. Oh man. That's awesome. <laughs> the things you do in quarantine. I know. You jammed the Jonas Brothers over FaceTime. <laughs> well, now I feel like I should definitely stop talking about how to make boats faster so you can instead do something <laughs> way more interesting. Should we um, talk about well, the next book? let's talk about the next book, yeah. yeah. Lady Smoke. Um, I was looking at where we should read up to, and I think we can either read up to Picnic or Practice. Ooh, I was thinking we read up to Murder, but which one? what page is yours on? Well, Picnic is on 229. And practice is on 240. Oh, I think I had us reading further than you, but I'm good with that. Practice? Let's do practice. Okay. Do you want me to read the back? Yeah, I think it's your turn to read the back. Yeah, okay. Um, Wait, why did I volunteer? Just kidding. (laughs) Ashes may wash away, but a queen never forgets. The Kaiser murdered Theodosia's mother, the Fire Queen, when Theo was only six. He took Theo's country and kept her prisoner, crowning her Ash Princess a pet to toy with and humiliate. After 10 years, that era has ended. The Kaiser thought his prisoner weak and defenseless. He didn't realize that a sharp mind is the deadliest weapon. Theo no longer wears a crown of ashes. Still, her people remain enslaved under the Kaiser's rule, and she is a queen with no army thousands of miles away from home. Now Theo must return to liberate her people, but first she must decide how much she is willing to give up. Theo knows that freedom comes at a price, yet she is determined to find a way to save her country without losing herself. That was the least informative back of a book I have ever read. That didn't even tell me as much as I know from the first book. I've learned nothing. I have no predictions now. There's a cup on the cover, so there's more poison. That's my only prediction. Well, okay. I think think this book is going to have to do a lot with Dragon's Bane because her ship is called Smoke. Ooh, that is a good call. Okay, I like that. (laughs) At least I hope because I really want to know more about her. Well, and it says thousands of miles away from home, and we did leave her, like, yeah. off the coast of home, so yeah. she must be on the boat for a while. Okay. But what do we think? It says she knows that freedom comes at a price. I think that means the loss of her best friend, Cress. She didn't and that. 
possibly Soren because so far Soren has been very understanding. Like when she tried yeah. to kill him, and then when she took him hostage, <laughs> he's been like, "Yeah, I kind of understood why you did that, but I'm wondering if that will last. If the love and trust can endure yeah. through that, yeah." Yeah, oh, we didn't even specifically mention that. But yeah, he helped her escape. And at the last minute, she was like, no, we're not actually going to do this together. You're actually my hostage now. Yeah. And he was so. shockingly cool with it. He was like, it, When she tried to kill him, he was like, stab lower. <laughs> like, what? He just even put up a fight. What a weirdo. Oh, wait, I already forgot. Who, are you Blaze or are you Soren? Which one am oh, I? Which one are you? I said Soren. Okay, so I, I need to be rooting for Blaze. Okay, but I yeah, Soren yeah. is a dummy. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I I don't really want her to. Well, no. Okay, I'm gonna stick with Soren because that's what I went with. I'm <laughs> I'm not gonna change my mind now. Okay. Um. Well, I think someone needs to go Jonah's brother dance. So do you have a joke for me? Yes, I do. Yes. So, um, due to the quarantine, I'll only be telling inside jokes. <laughs> I actually tried to make a coronavirus joke a while back. Nobody laughed at the time, but eventually everyone got it. <laughs> we shouldn't be laughing about this, but it's so true. We have to laugh about it because otherwise it's just terrible. Yeah. I love that. Those are both really good. Those are my coronavirus jokes for you. None of them were ones where you had to guess anything, but they work. They really, really do. They're very dad joke-ish-esque. Okay. Um, anything else? No, um, just get in touch with us if you're bored and want something to do. Um, you can email us at mnktalkya at gmail.com. Or find us on Instagram or Facebook at mnktalkya. And yeah. Let us know if you're a professional mermaid. Please. Oh, please reach out if you're a professional mermaid. I'm so interested in, in everything about you. That is way better than what I was going to say, which was help me interpret how to make a boat faster. But I'd much rather hear from a professional mermaid. <laughs> I don't want to hear about that. <laughs> Email Kay separately. Okay. Bye, bookworms. Go get a library card. M&K Talk YA is produced and edited by Marissa Snyder and Katie Bradford. Original music composition by Timothy Milkey. Logo design by Marissa Snyder. For updates and extras, visit mnktalkya.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. And if you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. We would like to thank James Tobias, Chad Snyder, Meredith Kelfie, and Michael Howard for all of their support. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.